0: Welcome to Montana 3000, Tales of 15 Minutes from Now, read by the author, Sean Gallagher. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and see the website for updates on new episodes at montana3000.com. And now, your host, Sean Gallagher. Campfire Tale. Far back ten hundred years ago, before the yoke of steel, when crop and tide marked time and tribes humbled knowledge to wisdom, a trail was marked through these parts by the ancient courageous. Tooled only with sinew, stick, and stone, for five generations the mountain clan hewed and hacked a path two horses wide through the thin aired pass of primeval wood and gibber plain that fortressed one side of the range from its other. Years stretched to decades as the path foot-slogged its way up, through, and over the impenetrable parts, the best of each brood being sent to serve the trail that their toil untwined. It was risk-ridden work, consigned only to the most honorable braves, as fewer ever returned than went, and those that made it back came always with tales to tell. There are many ways to die on the path, Falling stones, falling men, and hungry beasts claim their share. But nothing instills terror in intrepid hearts, as does the wood demon. A soul-seeking spirit that was vexed awake by bygone men with hammer and axe, it prowls the high pass and lies in wait for the unwitting. To walk this road is to cross its lair, and here's where you find it. As the trail makes its highest point, From the trees, the path emerges into a stone-strewn and too-silent glade, where an alpine stream beckons the weary to respite. But linger not long, so tell the braves, for here the devil prays. And should you meet it, be warned. It takes no steady shape, but changes as it will to the form that serves best its cravings. So hold your breath if pass you must, for if you're seen, you'll never be found. As any worthy tour will attest, the campfire glow lends an illusion of boundary to those within its orange dome from the death-black darkness of the wilderness without. In steady hands, this semblance of safety can give listeners a friendly spook without plunging them into the terror of their truth. Total and defenseless isolation. Dr. Winston understood this well and used it to his good advantage as he regaled round the flickering flame His three traveling companions, with the legend of the trail they had these five days trod, the forest they would tonight sleep within, and the high saddle glade they would tomorrow traverse. But this was not a company quick to scare. Seasoned trail hands all, The four friends and their horses had set out a week past from the lonesome cowboy outpost of Goodbye Gulch in search of deep wilderness and, if fortune favored, maybe an elk or ram. They were armed and provisioned. Well prepared for the expedition and experienced enough to handle a contingency or two. Horses bedded, chow ate, bottle passed, and stories told, it was time to bunk down and rest to dawn. So, beneath the quilt of a billion stars, they slept and dreamt the sleep and dreams of the fatigued and much contented. Jackson Rue rose in silence with the dull glow of pre dawn to set the fire, fry the rashers, and boil the grounds. He was a wizard with a hot camp pan, and nearly as good on the jaw harp. Cap Allen woke next to feed and water the mounts. He could hit a bird's eye at a thousand yards, a trick he picked up, sniping unlucky foes during the war. Henry George and Dr. Winston roused last. Doc wandered off to make water, while Hank hobbled over to Jackson to welcome him to the day and have a cup, his limp the result of an ill-placed blade through the foot during a drunken game of mumbly peg on another ride with the boys years back. After vittles, they broke camp, saddled up, and sifted onto the trail in loose formation. Doc riding point, Cap next, then Hank and Rue. Talk comes slow on a long ride, and a man finds himself on the trail with lots of time to think. Ideas amble in and out as you acquire a sort of meditative state and settle into the rhythm of your surroundings the clop of hooves, the squeak of saddle leather, the soft mumblings of a man deep in thought, billow and swirl among the shrieks of high-up hawks and wind through trees, all arranged to different sections of the same symphony. It's a pleasant place to pass the time, an easy place for the mind to wander. And so it happened, as the horsemen rode on, sloping up trail like as on a languid swell, each encased in his own reverie, that they were ungently knocked from their engrossments when they rounded a bend and upon to a misplaced scene. It seemed at first some wrong-colored stone had rolled onto the trail, the red and black not nature-made. As the foursome approached, a closer view revealed not a stone, but rather a heaped-up form garbed in denim and buffalo plaid, acting the way a dead man might, which is to say, a moveless lump of lifeless meat. Its head without hat was covered in a tangled mess of straw blonde hair. The face was not revealed. Hopping nimbly from his mount, Doc was first to approach and there to find a slack and stock still child. His breath came small and rasping, but come it did, though this is where the good news ended and hope gave way to horror. Trussed tightly, round throat to boot, the boy was mummy wrapped in rusty barbed wire. It burrowed through his clothes and sank into the flesh below. He was slick with blood and had been dumped without ceremony where he lay. Best guess put him around 11 or 12 years aged. Moving with grim efficiency, as like the seasoned surgeon he was, Doc turned the boy to his back, grabbed the lineman's pliers from his saddlebag, and began to cut and dislodge strands of corroded metal from the near-dead child. The other men, dismounting next, took Doc's cue, grabbed their tools and began cutting, too. The boy's eyes looked up into his skull and showed only white. Foam bubbled pink at the corner of his mouth. As the stiffless sufferer was slowly unfettered and his bonds unbound, blood flowed the greater, but his breath improved. Doc implored a quick encampment so their patient could be made stable and put to more thorough administration. Fortune shone down as Cap rode ahead, then back, reporting a nearby clearing with a soft creek flowing through. The riders made haste, their patient in tow. It was a sleepless night, as Doc directed the men around the fire to various tasks in service to their slow-stabilizing victim. Water was fetched and boiled, bandages wrapped, changed, then re-wrapped, and a vigilant watch kept over breath and bleeding. When finally dawn crept in, the worst was through, and survival now a cautious expectation. Rue's coffee never tasted so good. It was late into the next day when the boy began to stir from his restless sleep. His eyes fluttered briefly, then flashed open in panic, the wide eyed terror reminiscent of a bog trapped foal. He struggled to rise, but the riders held him down. A surprisingly difficult task. The boy was strong with fear. Where am I? Who are you? I gotta get off this mountain. Let me go! The boy was panicked nearing hysterics, thrashing against the arms that held him. There's a devil roams here! A soul-taker! I'm the last of us! Blessed heaven and tarnation! We gotta go! Let me go! More thrashing. Easy, son, easy. Doc soothed, as he tried to calm his discomposed patient. You're safe now. You're okay. Here, have a drink. Doc motioned to Hank for a canteen. The boy took the water absentmindedly, sips small, then seeming to regain some wit, met eyes with his benefactors, who were circled tightly around him. This wood is spoilt. Evil like. We gotta go. With greater control, but still terror stricken, the boy spoke more slowly, on a knife's edge of frenzy. Rue asked gently, Who did this to you? Where are they now? Mom Pa got took. Baby too. Why'd it took the baby? his moment of lucidity gone. The boy began to slide back to his dark hysteria. Having seen war, Doc and Cap knew well the look of unbridled panic a man's eyes can take when losing his grip on what's real. Rue knew that face as the one his father flashed him, before the Tulsa roughs slid a loop over his head and lifted him by his neck up a tree some thirty years back. Hank was a man of the range and, by appointment, only too familiar with the very decorations of primal fear. None of the men, however, had ever stood in the presence of such gross insanity as like that to which they now bore witness. Water didn't calm him, so they moved to whiskey, and after a wee dram, the boy's story began to trickle, then flow. We was three of us riding westbound by horse drove wagon out of Missouri, Independence Town. to Eureka Valley and San Fran for established, Pa's mercantile. There was Pa, me, and Ma. Ma was spectant with a little one, so we was rushing to get around the range for a first snow hit. Bad for us, though. The wagon were too heavy, and we sunk her in soft sand west of Camas. Pa got real nervous because he didn't want to have no baby in the mountain winter, so we cut the Conestoga loose and tried to make fast on horseback straight over the pass for a real cold hit. We was about five days up mountain, things going good, when we met a hitch. Coming around a blind turn, we troubled a sow Grizz with a couple of cubs. She didn't like it none and made to charge, but then veered off into the woods with her little ones at the last chance. We were scared good, but none chewed up, thanks to heaven. One of our horses spooked, though, got his twisted up and busted a leg. We knowed we had to put him down, though Paul had that mama Grizz on his mind. By the time we get ourselves resituated, it was getting on to late day, and we didn't have much trail light left. Not wanting to bring around another meeting on account of the blood smell, especially not at dark. Pot decided we'd make camp and set up a big fire in the perimeter, and get on early next morning and leave the carcass behind. So we moved a little up trail, away from the remains, till we find a campable clearing. bit rocky, but had a watering creek. And we lodged down for the night. Made us a big fire, passed around some hardtack for supper, then put our backs to the flame and Paul and me kept a two-man rifle watch while all got some rest. Eventually, all goes to calm, no bearing sight, and Paul and me each settled in with itself. Must have been about halfway to sunup when everything goes real quiet. Too quiet for forest, Even the cricks seem to stop bubbling. It's real dark, too, on account of there being no moon that night and plenty of clouds. There weren't no tree line to our eyes neither, just one big sheet of black outside the fire's glow. Felt like what deaf and blind must feel like, I imagined to myself. Both of us was a little tight, thinking that Mama Sal must be nosing near about. Then the noise starts up, real quiet like. It was a moaning sort of sound, but part growl, too. Ain't neither of us could tell where the sound was coming from. Seemed to be surrounding us from the whole wood at once. Everywhere and nowhere. Sound starts getting louder and we can tell it ain't no bear, but something else. Not quite man and not quite natural. Sort of lonely and threatening. Ma's up by now, too, getting real nervy and hollers, who's there? And Pa tells her to hush up. You don't stop the sound, though. In fact, it starts getting louder. We's all getting pretty twitchy by this time. Sitting in dark, black as sleep, and hearing whatever we's hearing surrounding us. And from what must have been the wood's edge, a small glow starts up and we source the sound to it. Weren't much shine to start with, but after a bit we can tell it's two blue lights, bright and small sized, about waist high from the ground up and close together, coming toward us slow. The blue lights is moving closer and closer, that moaning sound all the while accompanying. Then, as it's all getting close to the edge of the campfire rim, of a sudden, The lights go out and the sound goes off. Everything's back to quiet and dark. As if by way of demonstration, the boy at this went death silent and stone still. He sat for a moment, deep in muted thought, seeming by appearance to be gathering the resolve to continue his account. His strength regained. With a fortifying breath, the boy resumed. (sighs) I can't right say what happened next. All fell to chaos. What I seen is a demon step from the dark and into the light, its eyes bluer and blazing blue, like sapphires on fire. Didn't right know what I was looking at. Ma starts a screaming but gets cut off short on account of having the baby tore out her belly by the devil, who moves faster than anything I ever seen. Paul fires off a shot, though ain't nothing to hit but air. And something from the edge of the firelight grabs him from behind and yanks him away, screaming into the darkness. In no seconds time, I'm there by myself. Mom baby's on the ground, blood out limp, and paws flat disappeared and not screaming no more. Then I hears that moaning growl behind me, and all goes dark. It's the last I remember, seeing y'all. At this, the boy laid back, exhausted by the labor of recount, and shut his eyes and rest. Next to the campfire's low embers and dying flame, the shaken riders left the child to sleep, moving into the stony glade, where small light from the moon's waning crescent played strange with shadow, the last of day having departed since the story's start. Their eyes spoke first, as they each asked the other with a brittle look, What now? Hank was first to break the silence. We gotta take that boy and get out of here quick. Cap added what all were thinking, but none were inclined to say. For it gets us, too. As the four friends hunkered in the rocky soil, scratching a plan of escape, a low and rising sound started up that froze the brave men's blood. It was one part moan to two parts growl, forlorn and angry, and it seemed to enfold the meadow where they sat. The plan was quickly ditched, as all thoughts distilled to one. Get out. The riders rushed back to the campsite to grab the boy and escape. They found him, to their surprise, not lying in rest, but standing near the dying embers, shirtless and bloody bandaged, his tortured back faced to their return. The moaning growl had ceased. We gotta get gone, son. Right now. Something's out there. Doc spoke with hurry. The boy seemed neither to hear nor care. He stood immobile toward the fire. His savage back still turned. I appreciate y'all fixing me up, he spoke to the men, but into the dark. Thought for sure I was a goner. Gotta tell you, I'm feeling the right side better. He was motionless, his front and hands hidden. Glad to hear that, son, said Doc cautiously, though I think you'd be better suited to take more rest. You aren't healed up enough to move about yet. That aside, we gotta go. Now. Wish I could, said the boy, his back still turned. But Afraid I gotta be heading on. Other travelers to meet, you know. Before I go, though, I reckon a proper introduction would be fitting. Now I knows Doc and Rue and Hank and Cap, but I don't reckon y'all knows me. Uncertain silence sat over the fear-frozen men. There's some calls me Old Nick, and others, Old Ned. A few from way back even calls me Mr. Black, or the Great Deceiver. And it goes by a legion of other names, too. But what I'm most familiar by ain't my name. So much as my trade. And here it is. At this, the boy turned to face them as the very last of the embers died, and the four riders were pitched into unsighted darkness. First thing the men discerned was that the boy's hands, which he held palms up and waist-high before him, were glowing blue. Each hand held a marble, shooter-sized, that blazed like a flaming sapphire and cast a spectral glow in a small ring around him. His bare and bandaged chest had two black stripes running vertically down it. The men's eyes drew upward from the blue glowing orbs, past the dark stripes and up into the boy's shadowed face. They recoiled in icy terror. His eyes were dead black craters, raw empty holes, and it was quickly clear that the stripes were blood trails, running down wet from the ragged sockets. Following the bloody tracks down the boy's slight frame, the men realized with horror that the blue orbs weren't marbles at all, but the boy's own eyes, blue as a glacier lake. They were alert and leering hungrily upon each of the riders in turn. The cowboys were terror-struck as the devil, with a hell-born shriek, sprung upon them in a lightning strike of blinding blue. And so, as it had for a thousand years, the forest swallowed the screams of these poor damned souls, who found too late that they had wandered into the wood-demon's still and stony prowl. Once the blood-curdles died and their echoes receded, then, as like a serpent just struck, The freshly hushed Greenwood recoiled itself to a loose repose and the alpine glade of Devil's Pass returned to silence, sitting in wait for its next misfortune passerby. The End This has been another episode of Montana 3000. Check out the website for more information and additional stories. Montana3000.com If you like what you heard, Please share it with your friends. Until next time, happy trails.